Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads, and we currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. My portion of the podcast is being recorded from the passenger seat of this mobile office that we travel around in. I do want to encourage you that are listening, make sure that you listen to the end of the podcast. We will be including ways that you can continue the conversation that we start today by connecting with us directly. So make sure you stay to the end so you can get all those details. Today, I have a longtime friend, Alan Laika, as our guest. Alan is an author, speaker, coach. He, he's got so many things on his bio. I'm just going to hit a few things, and then I'm going to ask him to tell us more. He's been a TEDx speaker, a Blue Talk speaker, and co-author with Jack Canfield. He has currently co-authored a new book, which we're going to discuss greatly with Harriet Tinka, called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Two survivors reveal the 13 golden pearls they've discovered. And I've got to share this. This may come up in a former life. He was a medical doctor in the cosmetic and plastic surgery field. Alan, welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. Yep, thanks for having me. It's it's great catching up with you and great to be on your show today. Thank you very much for inviting me as a guest. Sure, and we we've known each other for what fifteen years ish. I think it's probably been longer than that. When I think back, it's probably about 20 years that we were together in groups run by Dan Kennedy, uh, mastermind groups, learning about business, learning about things. And it's, it was a long time ago. I placed that probably the early 1990s, which sounds a long, long time ago right now. <laughs> yes, it does. So, all right, first question I like to ask, and then we're going to kind of check in on some things is I, I gave the bio and there's a lot more to your bio I could have given. I like to keep it a little tight, but just quick elevator pitch. What do you do? You know, I'm an author. I'm a, a motivational speaker and I'm a thought leader. And, you know, I also coach businesses to help them through down times and help them get their best. So I have a whole bunch on my plate, but I, right now I'm concentrating on being an author and getting out a, um, a first class book, a, a best selling book. And that's my, been my passion for the last little while. Yes. And, and we'll talk more about that. In fact, that's what I want to wrap with as we get to the end. We want to do a dive into that, really a lot of the details, because it, is not released at the time of recording, but by the time the podcast releases, it will be out. So anyway, we'll discuss that more. First, though, I just want to ask, this is, we're recording this the tail end of April 2020. There are many things going on in the world. I would love for you to share with us geographically where you are and 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 make sure that we know you're well and your family or well, you know this 2020 has been an amazing year i didn't realize that 2020 was going to be hit with both barrels both at the same time and uh you know i live in a place called edmonton alberta canada for those that need a little bit of geography we're due north of montana if you get in your car got to the canadian border which is the 49th parallel and drove five hours straight north that's where i am edmonton's a city right in the middle of the plains it's a city that used to be very wealthy when oil used to be the commodity that everybody had so we had more more money than than anywhere because oil edmonton has more oil than saudi arabia except it's in deposits that are not easy to get out of the ground they're called oil sands 
because of some mistake of nature, the oil is mixed with deep sand. So you have to really build big, multi-billion dollar plants to get it out of the ground. But we were so busy here. Our economy was booming so much, it was crazy. Now, Edmonton is a city of about a million people. Now, we're in the Great Plains, but just outside in our backyard are the Rocky Mountains, and people have heard of Banff and, and Jasper and some of the most beautiful scenery on the earth. Well, that's right in our back uh, door here. So we're very blessed here. We get the four seasons right now. Today is the start of spring. Snow just left just in the last week and it's just uh, starting to be beautiful things are starting to bud pussy willows are out uh every this morning i drove out of my driveway and there was a big deer right on my on my lawn and uh, wow it was a beautiful sight to see now i don't i live in the city and we're close to a river valley but you know as people are not getting around as much the wild animals are starting to come back into the city and starting to do things it's it's an interesting time right and and during this time i just you know maybe to set the stage by the time people listen to the podcast or maybe they may even listen to it farther down the road we are currently most of the world is in stay at home lockdown whatever quarantine whatever terms you want to use, which is very interesting for us. Our hope is that by the time people hear this, things will be different. I don't know that back to normal is a correct term we could use. I'm not sure. You know, the way I see this, it's a very long tunnel, Tim, and it, there will be some pockets that will be able to engage quicker. But the problem that we're fading is, is there's a virus going around the world right now. And we don't really understand the virus as much as we should, but people who get it, it's a very serious virus. 7% of this people who get this virus go to hospital. About 3 to 4% can end up in the intensive care unit, very, very, very sick. And you know, any place from 2 to 3% die with this virus. Now, we don't know why it's, it makes very, certain people very ill and other people can live with this and be asymptomatic. But when they don't have any symptoms, they're still passing it to others. And, and we don't know if the person they're going to pass it to is going to get that bad reaction. Yeah. And, and that's why we've had to go to this more or less barbaric thing of isolating. I, I mean, here's a world where we have every antibiotic known to man. We have all these drugs to treat things. And we're faced with a situation where we don't know what to do. And it's a scary thing. And I say that as a medical doctor, uh, a former medical doctor, because this is not an easy situation. It's not easy for anybody. And places it's hit, it's hit hard. New York, very badly hit. Boston, Massachusetts, which has excellent medical care, very, very badly hit hard. Places that have really been hit hard are, are scary. And we don't know how much of this virus is out there because the testing hasn't been for everybody. If we could test everybody, and then we'd have a better idea on this and tell certain people they need to go and, and lock up. But we don't have the means or ability to do that yet. So we're forced with this rather barbaric thing of, of staying indoors, staying away from other people, because we don't think we can protect people well enough in any other way. Right. And, and listen, I know, I know we can't really, I think the big takeaway from what you just said to me, and I do want to emphasize you do have a medical background. So it's not as if 
you know, you're just someone who's reading the news and sharing your thoughts. You, you have an understanding for these things much more than engineer business guy. But, uh, but I mean, the, the bottom line seems to be that we don't really know what this is going to look like. And because my guess is, is you're not willing to make any predictions, are you? You know, at this point in time, no. I, I'm encouraged by the fact that here we haven't been affected as much as any place else. But, you know, this virus is, is nasty. And there is an outbreak in a little town outside of Calgary called High River. And there are a lot of people that worked in a meatpacking plant there. Well, that went through like wildfire because many people lived in that meatpacking lived in small houses with 10, 20 people in them, with caregivers that lived in nursing, that worked in nursing homes. So over 500 people were affected within a period of days. And it really devastated that whole community. So, you know, when this goes through, it goes through like wildfire. And I'd like to use the expression wildfire because that's what it's like. It just takes off and there's no predicting where a wildfire is going to go. Now, there's some encouraging things that some places are recovering, like Germany and France. But England just next door is not recovering yet. So it's... We, this is a bit unpredictable. When it takes off, it takes off badly. Yeah. So it's best when you're hunkering down to stay in the hunker down mode until this virus goes away. And how long is that going to be? Your guess is as good as mine. There, there, you know, in Edmonton, we have a lot of festivals during the summer. We have some great festivals like the second biggest fringe in the world and things like that we've shut them down. We're not going to have any festivals or group activities till the fall. That means no groups greater than 15 people getting together in any way. Uh, Schools will not open up at least until the fall. And even then it's questionable whether we'll be able to. So this is a nasty virus. It it causes a lot of problems. Sure. I want to I want to listen because I think one of the concerns that we all have is that we could, you and I could have this conversation. But one of the cool things that you've done, we've done in the past, and also you've recently gone through experiences or in the last or in the past have gone through experiences that have led you to write a book that to me has some timeless principles. So I want to discuss those. But I do want to ask you to back up a little bit, Alan. I want you to back up to some of those mastermind sessions that you and I spent time in some of those uh, seminars and trainings, because you've been a lifelong learner. And I want to emphasize that, that you were very, very successful in the medical field. We might could mention that. I know you actually are trying to move away from that, but it's still part of who you are. And, but, but when we, when we met, we were, I think we were in Dan Kennedy's basement? Yes? No? I think so. I think we started in Dan Kennedy's basement, and then he did some other, took out some hotel space and so on. So it was interesting. I think we started in in Cleveland, and then we ended up in Phoenix and and different places as he moved around and, and, and did these masterminds in different places. 
and it, it, it was it was really a great event because Dan Kennedy is a masterful teacher. Yeah, tell he, people. He, some people may not know who he is, so give people a little bit of who he is. Yeah. And then Dan Kennedy is known as the Millionaire Maker. And my first experience with him was I picked up a little book at some bookstore secondhand, and he offered a free uh, invitation to send in your material for critique. And he critiqued it, and then I started following him and started following him more. And you know, Dan is one of the most amazing teachers on the planet. He's he's just put out a new book called The Renegade Millionaire for people that want to learn a little bit about him. And I, I'd recommend to pick that up because some of the things he teaches out there are some of the best principles you're ever going to learn. I picked that up two days ago. I read it overnight and it was a, a phenomenal little read. It just reinforces principles. So Dan Canada is where we left. Now, the reason I did that is back in 1989, I graduated from my dermatology residency and in the early 1990s in medicine, we in Canada started to go through a recession. We went through one of these dips and Compared to this one, this was a baby one, but is enough to change our healthcare system that I did not want to stay into it. So I decided to go born to private enterprise. Now, back then, cosmetic surgery, cosmetic dermatology, plastic surgery was just starting. It was, it was, you couldn't, you couldn't go through schools to learn it. Uh, we, I when in my residency, some of the first lasers came out and they were terrible. They, uh, you used to be able to make a burn on a person's skin with them. We came out with a machine that could treat blood vessels on the face, like port wine stains, these big vascular lesions on people's face. Uh, and it was broken for the first six weeks we had it in our residency. So I never got the exposure to it, but I realized that this was a trend and, Back in 1989, Botox was invented by a colleague of mine in Vancouver. A dermatologist walked in on his wife, uh, who was a, a, an ophthalmologist, and they were treating it for twitching muscles. And he asked the patient, what do you like about Botox? And the patient said, it takes my wrinkles away. And so that was the start of Botox. I, I didn't invent Botox, but I was there right at the start. So I was one of the first innovators and the first users of it. And I started using it way back then. So I became one of the experts at using it. And, and then soon after, right about that time, substances came out that were fillers. Fillers were stuff that you'd put in your face to uh, take care of wrinkles, try to plump up the face, try to get rid of it. So I became one of the world's experts in using fillers. Uh, you would have known something called collagen back then. Mm. Well, collagen was an awful filler. And then we got into products that were HA project products and they had fancy names like Juvederm and all this sort of stuff. But the thing is they helped to fight wrinkles and they helped to fight aging and no one wants to get old. And then I, learned back in the early 1990s there were ways of doing liposuction totally under local anesthetic before then you had to put people to sleep for it which was very dangerous and very risky but we found ways to do it totally under local anesthetic that was called tumescent anesthetic the word tumescent means firm because when you put these large volumes of of numbing material into that the skin would be firm and then you could take off the fat off people's bodies. And I became one of the leading people in doing tumescent liposuction in the world. And I did tens of thousands of cases in my career. 
So I, I was there at the start. I helped to develop many of the things. I helped to do many of the things with it. So in the plastic surgery literature, you'll see that I wrote over 17 books. I did over 30 peer review articles. And I also did a lot of other things. So, I, I, I was a busy cowboy with I, that. I know you I were. because seminars around the world. So when we met during that time, so why would someone who has all of those credentials need to go to the foremost marketing authority to do anything? Because people should have been beating down their doors to you. Why'd you go to a Dan Kennedy? Why yeah. did you spend and invest the money for marketing? You know, that's a very good question, and I'm going to be very succinct about that. Doctors are great technicians, <laughs> they're great for doing things, but, you know, they're very bad about telling their story. And, and I think people have to learn it's the story stupid. It, it really is all about telling the story and being enthusiastic about it and getting your words across in such a way that people will understand them. And so, because of Dan Kennedy, I became one of the best marketers in cosmetic surgery in the world. And I learned to put the story together and how to put it together in such a way that it became something that was easy to do. Now, I'm also blessed with having a good voice. So I'm, I've got a face for radio, as I say, and I've also got a voice for radio. So I've got a booming voice that helps to command the message. And there's three parts of everything that's marketing. One is the message, the other one is the market, and the third one is the media. The three M's, as, as Dan would tell us. The message is very important, and it can't be veered from. You have to perfect that so people understand it very well. The market is the people you try to get people to take your product or, or help to buy the things from you. Now, the media is something that's changed drastically over the years. When I started, first started marketing, I found that soap operas were something that were the greatest thing for me to market on because they were the ideal customer for me. So I was marketing on soap operas in Canada, and it was a big, big thing. Uh, you know, very few soap operas remain anymore. And then we had to get more into print media. People won't remember something called the yellow pages. Yellow pages were a media that you used to put you, your ad. You just in. dated. You, you just dated us. Up. You just dated us, Alan. There are people that are listening, going, "Oh my gosh, these guys! What are they talking about? Yellow pages." <laughs> well, the only means you could get your message out to a group of people. They people would use the yellow pages in the phone book which is the advertising part of the phone book. There'd be white pages that you could look people up and there'd be yellow pages where you'd look up people by topic. And that's where you had it. So I was an expert in yellow pages. But you know, as things shifted, I shifted too. I used to be an expert at writing newsletters. I used to be an expert at, at mass marketing campaigns. Because, you know, I, I learned a long time ago about marketing. It's like, one of the simplest means I learned about marketing was catching fish. And I was in Hawaii once and I was walking down the beach and there was this guy that drove up in this most amazing truck. It had chrome, it had bells, it had whistles. It must've cost a hundred thousand dollars. And this must, this was in the early 2000s. And I saw him, he took out his fishing rods. He put the fishing rod, attached it and threw out the bait 
and he had all these fishing rods, about 20 in one place, and then he left. He was packing up to leave. And I said, I got to understand this better. And he said, well, you know, it's easy. He said, I love fish, but I hate fishing. Spending a whole day for me here was the most stupid thing in the world. But, you know, if I throw in 20 fishing rods, I'm going to get an average to five to ten fish. And when I come back at the end of the day, I take these fish, I sell it to all the restaurants in town, and during the day I can go do anything I want. I don't have to do anything else. And so I said, you know, this is a great message here. You know, if I had 20 fishing rods, all these places to see where my message did well, I do very well. And so I experimented and I experimented and I experimented and I learned how to be in every place that people needed me. So I didn't have to be spending a lot of time marketing. But you also did quite a bit of that experimenting within, uh, while you were associated with masterminds and other groups. And one question I want to ask you, number one, I want you to maybe talk a little bit more of that, but also talk a little bit about the investment. You and I, and probably you a lot more, I think you were around longer, but these were not $20 you can participate in this group. These dollars, you'd probably be looking at about $100,000. These were like $10,000 back then. So times have changed and it's more expensive. But, you know, I've always felt that you could do things the hard way and learn it yourself. You could go to the school of hard knocks, okay, and learn the lesson the hard way. They give the test before you get the lesson in the school of hard lives. So you can learn it all by failing. You can learn it all. Or you can invest in your education. And masterminds are one of the means of getting education. It's like going through a, an MBA, a university education on weekends. It's like getting the world's best minds all together, all at once, to critique your material. And, and, and do that. So there's a couple of ways to get ahead in life. And one is to um, add jet fuel to it. And how do you add jet fuel to it? One is you use other people's knowledge. Okay. Others people's knowledge is crucial. I hope other people that are on this, on this tape will learn from me. I'm a, I was a cosmetic doctor. I was a cosmetic dermatologist, but yet the lessons I have to learn are maybe more apropos to your business than something in your own business will do. So you've got to really understand that other people's knowledge is important. A second way to get away, get ahead is to use other people's time. You know, if you get somebody else doing some of the simple, easiest tasks for you, you can multiply yourself. You can do better that way. Now, another way, still a third way of doing things, is using other people's money. So if if people invest in what you do and so on, you can go. Now, if you add three of those together, you really get ahead quicker and faster and better. And that's part of what you should be doing. Now, yes, you're still going to make mistakes. Yes, you're still going to fail. And I want to get my failure over much quicker than anybody else. If I'm going to fail, I want to fail now. And that's a good thing because after failure comes success. And if you fail over and over again, you'll be successful. And you'll get to, you know, it, get to it quicker, right? So, Well, Edison, for example, was inventing the light bulb and he met 
what we call failure after failure after failure. And he said, no, no, I just didn't find another way to succeed yet. And, and that's what it's all about is finding a unique way, a unique way of doing things. And I learned that another thing is, is something that Tim would say is a unique selling proposition. Something that's unique about you, about your unique about your message, so your message gets carried to the masses. And that's the very most important thing you should concentrate on at any time, having a unique selling proposition so that your message will be carried on. Yeah. I wanna I wanna shift just a little bit before I, I really start getting into your all the wisdom that you've kind of shared with your pearls in in your book. I a book a book just popped into my mind that I read probably 25 years ago, and I hope the reference is correct, but wasn't Maxwell Maltz a cosmetic surgeon or plastic surgeon that wrote Psycho-Cybernetics? Am I correct? Yes, that's right. Maxwell Maltz was probably the first, he was a general surgeon, first of all, and he went and was one of the first plastic surgeons but what he found was very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you to, from your career as in cosmetic medicine, what did you learn about people? And was it the same? Did you validate what he said? Oh, Talk I, to I us think, about that. Uh, I think Maxwell Marx was well ahead of his time. He was, he was one of the most brilliant people. What he found was that he'd do brilliant work on people. And, and, and they'd look so much better. And he'd ask them, what do you think? And they said, you didn't do anything. Mm. What do you mean? Look at the, no, I, I look the same. I look worse. What did you do to me? I, and he realized that people had images of themselves and that if you didn't affect the way they looked at the world and looked at themselves, you wouldn't be able to change the way that they are. And that's when he started the science of psycho-cybernetics, where pe people would therefore uh, get ahead and make the message even stronger. Yeah. Does, Alan, did that have any impact on you moving into speaking, coaching, and writing? I, I think most plastic surgeons, most cosmetic surgeons that are honest have had a similar path as, as, as Maxwell in that they realize that there is something uh, about people that you can't just change by doing things on the surface. You have to go far below the surface and doing things. But again, I also had some personal experiences that made me change as well, where I felt that I I would do uh, I'd be able to do better in this arena than just doing cosmetic surgery. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people, and I know you and I have a relationship, so I could come at you with something kind of hard, maybe a hard question, but a lot of people would say that cosmetic medicine, plastic surgery, that would fit in these sometimes superficial or vanity or, or categories that really aren't critical. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm trying to get in the listener's head, but, but combat that Sh share, share that because, because it kind of goes to what you said earlier about image and the way people perceive themselves. Right. You know, it's, it's so important that people perceive themselves properly and you're able to help people out of the image that they have and get beyond that. You know, one of the things that Botox does is it helps the little lines in between your forehead. You know, when you're angry, you frown like this and you get this snarl. <laughs> what Botox does is 
literally uh, acts as a block between the nerve and the muscle. So you can't frown like that. Now, one of the earliest lessons I learned was there is a person that came in with a permanent like scowl on their forehead from frowning too much. And I did Botox for him and they changed, it literally changed their life that they, they, they were now looking happy. They now were happy just because that one little thing took them away. Now, of course, I did far more than that. I became one of the world's experts in removing scars. Uh, some of these awful scars people get on their body where people uh, were in a fire or had really bad things. And I, I did some scar correction on one person who had some horrendous scars. He was so bothered by his scars that he wouldn't take off his shirt. He just wrote me about a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, Dr. Like, I'm so happy. It's because of you I was able to get married. I now have a son, and I wanted to share my son with you. He was just born uh, at, at the beginning of April. And it, it's such an experience that people change because these things that are holding them back, these things that are holding us down are all, all of a sudden released, and, and it's just like a breath of fresh air for them. So, you know, as a cosmetic doctor, you're really almost like God in some respects. I mean, believe me, I'm not trying to, to beat on a shield or things like that, but people perceive you as God because you can do such drastic things for people that really changes their life in just seconds. It really makes them that much better and wholer after all this. Yeah, that's, that's good. So... Well, and we can have that conversation about a number of things, but one of the things that I want to I want to shift to, kind of building up all of that, uh, all the training and education you've gotten in marketing and business and running a very successful practice, medical field, and then not all of a sudden, but this has been a process. You you write this book so the first question I'll... let me go back to where this book came from yeah. you know it came from when i was walking in disney world you know the happiest place on earth with my wife and my youngest daughter in 2003 it was spring break in february and my wife turned to me and said what's wrong with you hun and i said what's wrong with me i haven't got the faintest idea she said listen to your foot it's flapping listen to my foot it's flapping she said i said are, are we still on the same language barrier are we talking the same thing she said no just listen to your foot and i had suddenly developed a foot drop on the right side of my body my foot was literally making a slap with each step i was taking it wasn't lifting when you walk normally your foot does it all by itself and and she said what's wrong with you i said i don't know i don't have the faintest idea. And she said, I, you know, did you have a stroke? I said, no, this is not how a stroke affects a person. She said, well, when we get back to Canada, you better get it checked out, she said. And when your wife tells you, you better get it checked out, you better get it checked out. You know what's coming. That's good wisdom. So, That's good wisdom right there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 you better, better know how to in the old days, it was the iron that would fly across the room, you know, the old movie. But now it would be uh, something different. But the point is, after that, I came back. and I got checked out by a gazillion doctors. You know, I had 
PET scans, I had CAT scans, I had scan scans. And you know what they showed at the end of it, Tim? Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. They thought I had a slip disc. They thought I had a brain tumor. But there was nothing on any of these tests. Okay? So I said, oh, my goodness, there's, there's got to be something. So finally, I went to see a world-class dermatologist, a neuroclass neurologist. He was a guy in my building. He was reputed to be the best in the world. And I went to see him. He went through all my tests. And he said, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, why? What's wrong? He said, because of this, because of this, he said, there's only one thing that explains it. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and in six months, you're going to be dead. You better get your affairs in order. And I looked at him aghast, and I said, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? And he said, yes, autopsy. <laughs> I want to pause you one second. Can you give us a glimpse? I mean, you were probably at the top of your practice and your field. I was at the top of my career. I was the, I was. I, I, Beaming, I, I mean, I was doing all these things. Financial, financially, things. you were doing extremely well, my guess is. Extremely well. I was sought over by everybody. I was right at the top of my career. And here he was telling me. Six more months. You're dead. <laughs> six more months. That's it. You got six months. Get your affairs in order. So I lost it. I really got angry. I went through the phases of a great author called Kugler Ross. I went through anger. I went through denial. I went through bargaining and I went through depression, but I don't think these phases all go. This is what happens in a book called Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And you don't go through these phases one after the other. You go through them all at once. So one day you're depressed, the next day you're angry. The next, so you go through this and you literally live a life that you just are, are like on a roller coaster and, and your life just totally changes. And, and you start doubting yourself. You start wondering like, and, you know, finally, my wife said, you know, I don't know what you have, but you don't have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And my wife's a doctor. And I said, well, what do I have? She says, I ain't got the faintest idea, but you better figure it out. <laughs> so I did something very primitive back then. I went and searched on a thing called the Internet <laughs> that have just come out. Hold on, time out, time out, just time out just a second, Alan. So you're telling me that you, renowned medical doctor, obviously in a, in a very niche field, your wife, medical doctor, you, you all of a sudden have this issue and you did what to diagnose? Tell, tell us that again. that a lot of people do now they go to dr google and look it up but back then there was no dr google back then there was no google your computers were very very primitive machines uh, they were you had to learn a language called dos to even communicate with them you know we didn't have much memory in computers so every little bit that you put in you you had to do in a very primitive way. And I had a couple of friends that were computer nerds and, and were getting into these things and, and knew a little bit more about them. So we started looking through a very primitive internet over stories of people that had diseases that were like ALS, but were not ALS. So I did something that was, I recreated the wheel. I said, you know, if I don't have ALS, what could it be? 
So I started looking and I found another person by the name of David Martz, who was in Colorado Springs, Colorado, that had a disease very similar to mine, but he got worse much more rapidly than I did. And he was on his deathbed within a couple of months. He could barely lift his head from the pillow. Now, David was a hematologist, a specialist in the blood, and he had a lot of friends. He was really well known in that area. So people were coming up to say goodbye to him. And a doctor came up from Texas and looked at David and said, David, you don't have ALS. David sort of mumbled, what do I have? He said, I think you have something called chronic Lyme's disease. Well, what's that, said David? Lyme's disease is a bite of a tick. And some people think that it causes a, a, a defect in your, your neurology system, the system that powers things, that looks just like ALS, and he said, if I'm right, I'm going to start you on antibiotics. And like Lazarus, you're going to arise from the dead. Well, David took the antibiotics. And within two weeks, he was like Lazarus arising from the dead. Hmm. You know, that, that's the most amazing story. So I said, I got to get in touch with David. I got to talk to David. And so I found David at the Methodist Hospital in Colorado Springs by calling all the hospitals. You know, a doctor can get in touch with anybody. All they have to do is say they're a doctor. And, and they, I got in touch with them, and we talked. And this was on the Thanksgiving weekend. Our Thanksgiving weekend is in November. Yours is a little bit later than that. But ours is way back in the beginning of October, just before Halloween, so that we can enjoy some of the Thanksgiving beforehand. So I got uh, to him then, and he said, can you come down to see me? I said, David, I can't. He, I, my wife's having 50 people over for Thanksgiving. She, he said, oh, aren't there any planes in Canada? So I, he, he embarrassed me. So I said, yeah, I'm coming down. I told my wife, I'm going away again. And she said, where are you going this time? I said, I'm not going to a medical meeting. I'm going to see somebody that might be able to help me. She said, well, of course you got to go. She said, you, I can take care of 50 people. That's nothing. Don't worry about it. So I get on a plane. I get on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. Great flight. Three hours, no problem. Then you get on this rinky-dink little plane from, from Denver to Colorado Springs. A mistake of my life. I mean, the problem is at the end of the day, heat is coming off the desert. So you get eddies in the air, and the plane will drop like 100 feet in just a second. So you're like on this drop of doom over and over and over again. Yeah, because well, to, to give people the geography, both Denver and the Springs, kind of like you, are right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. We're right on the Front Range. And there are tremendous drafts that mess with planes coming over or up from the plains of Kansas. And you're correct. I've flown in and out of the Springs and Denver multiple times, and it has been quite a rocky road. <laughs> Now, if you're a thrill seeker, this could be the ride of your life, but I wouldn't suggest it. I, I mean, at the end of that plane, I crawled off the plane. Okay, I literally crawled off. And there was David in his truck, and he met me right on the tarmac. I mean, this was pre-9-11. If you were a doctor in a little town and you knew people, you would be able to do what you had carte blanche. You could do anything. And David drove up and met me. So what year? So what, so what, wait, what year? I thought I'm, I'm confused. 2003. 
2003. Okay, so it was shortly after 9-11, but they haven't put the security in place. I see. All right, I was just making sure I was clear. So were you, everything, everything, what were you feeling? Everything. Yeah, what were you yeah. feeling like at that time? What was your uh, physical health? Because you'd been down for a little while, right? No, I, I, I was starting to, my right foot was a problem. My right hand was starting to get weaker. I started not being able to have the manual dexterity in my right hand anymore. I was not able to do some of the fine things that I was doing as a cosmetic doctor. And so I was at the point that I, I was desperate. I was at a point that I needed to get something done. Well, David and I talked, we talked for hours and he said, you know, I think history is repeating itself. I think we have the same scenario here. And he started me on treatment. And for the next 16 years, I was still one of the no number one cosmetic doctors in North America. I was at the top of my trade. But you know, Tim, when you go through something like that, you start to realize that life is not just about working, that it's not just about things. You start to realize that God has a plan for you and you start to see the little pieces in it. And you start to realize that there's a pattern in all this. And fortunately, this was my second opportunity to live my life even better than my first life. I wasn't going to be a workaholic. I was going to be a person that would share a message. And it, you know, I started to develop the message back then. And I started to write my book. And I just retired last year. I, started, I stopped seeing patients. I used to see 70 patients a day. So when you're seeing 70 patients a day, it's not easy to go home and keep writing your book, even though you have the message and story in you. So last year, uh, last February, I left my practice. I was able to sell my practice in, in last September. And with all this COVID, I'm darn glad I did and everything else right now. But at the same time, I was able to develop my story. Now, along the way, I also met a lady by the name of Harriet Tinka. When I was a cosmetic doctor, I used to do a lot of promotion. And I ran a women of distinction co competition for uh, the YWCA and for that, I was the MC, the main person for it. I met Harriet, and Harriet had a story similar to mine, except she was a person that was kidnapped, stabbed, and left for dead. And so she had a story where she found there were principles of life afterwards. She found that there were golden pearls as a result. And these golden pearls are, are very formative and very important for people to really learn about and, and, and take their life further. Yeah. So one of the things I have a, a theory, maybe it's my observation that, that people and really even culture societies, they, they typically will not make great change unless there's one of two things that occur. They either make an intense focused decision to change, which is kind of rare for us. Some of us do that. Or there's a catalytic event that occurs. It sounds yeah. to me like two catalytic events birthed these pearls that led to this book. Is that correct? Exactly. And I, I think that's what's important here is that it's because of the crisis, because of the things we went through that really gave us a new life, that allowed us to see life in a different light. 
that allowed us to see things in a way that was totally different and it allowed people to understand it even better. And, and we, we were able to see through the haze of humanity. We were able to see through the stuff that, that was going on. And that's why this birth, we birthed this book, so to speak, because it's just got an important message. And I think it's very important and germane to today because at the same time, our society is in trouble right now. Our society is having a death. And if we're going to come out of it, we're going to have to come out of it with a new life, with a better life at the end. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to survive it. This is going to be, a, it's got to be a reckoning because of what's going on here. This is a very critical time in the, in the human race. Yeah, it's interesting. Earlier, you mentioned the um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the model of going through the stages of grief. And I actually observed recently that in many ways, people are going through that right now with what we're facing with, you know, the health the health issues, the the economic issues, the job loss, and and we will see those stages there. It's interesting that you brought that together. I, I do want to ask, though, the name Golden Pearls is very unique, and, and I love gold. I love pearls. You brought those together. Tell us how that came about. Well, you know, golden pearls actually exist in nature, and they're extremely rare. They're only in some places in the South Pacific and the Philippines area and so on. And you know what forms a pearl? Uh, do you have any idea how a pearl forms, Tim? I, I, I know a little bit, but I believe that you're going to tell us. <laughs> I, I think it's important to realize, you know, a pearl forms because an irritation gets into the shell of the oyster and the, and the oyster puts this lustrous material over top of it. Uh, to make that pearl shine. Now, a pearl, uh, it has to be a specific type of pearl. Uh, the word maximus is in it, and it, it is a specific type of oyster that makes this pearl, and it makes it golden. These pearls are actually golden. So they're the rarest of pearls that you'll ever see. And a fully formed pearl, uh, an exquisite one, is extremely expensive. It's like $10,000 for a single pearl. So, but remember what formed it was the irritation that went on. The crisis that went on in the oyster, so to speak, is what allowed yeah. the pearl to be formed. And so I think this is a great analogy. It's a great thing to, to use as an image for this because these golden pearls are formed from strife. They're, they're, they're forged from it. They're, they come out of, out of devastation into something that's rather wonderful. So there's a possible negative event that leads to this beauty. And so that's the, is that the, where you guys came up with the name? Was it, was it you? Was it her? Who, who came up with the name? And talk about the formation of the foundation. Uh, you know, of the Harriet, Harriet is a, a very, she's a beautiful uh, negress. She's a beautiful black woman. And she used to be a model in, in New York City mm. before she, moved to Edmonton and uh, she was a, a, a exquisite. And she said, you know, ever since you've talked about these wisdom things, she says, I've been obsessed with pearls, she said, just obsessed with them. And I said, well, you, you know, you're probably right. These are golden pearls that we created. And I said, let's use that as, as the, the, 
the thing in the book and you know on their cover of the book is really golden pearls and and we show these golden pearls and we basically bring these to life which is a rather unique thing yeah so uh tell us how many there are because i think the i think you lay them out in the book tell us how many and maybe i've got a couple of them i'm going to ask questions on because i've got an outline but i want to i want you to tell us how many and what's your favorite you know i we came up after a, a number of times. We came up originally with 20. We worked it down to 13. And I think 13 is really one of the, it's a great number. I mean, some people think 13 is bad luck, but I, 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 I really would think it's good luck. 13 is a rather unique, remarkable number. So 13 pearls are what we have. And we've actually put a bonus pearl in right now because in that chapter we talk about fear. And I think fear is one of the greatest things we have now. Just like in the 30s, uh, one of the biggest things we have is not, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear is one of the things that's crippling us right now. And I think that's very important to realize that fear in itself is what hard hazards us and so on. But the 13 golden pearls are the, are superb. And I think each pearl is, is remarkable in that it starts with a little story. And each one has a, as more than a story, it's almost a parable. It's an analogy. It's, it's something that you can really take the message home from. And then there's a section in it where there's a dialogue between Harry and I. And it, it's an interesting dialogue. And I think everybody will enjoy it. And then finally, uh, there's a summary of it. And I think everybody can take home a lot of, of wisdom with us. Each, each pearl you will see as a standalone item. And it's something that I think people will get so much from. It's, it's just, as I say, it's become a, a passion for me and I, I love to talk about it. But don't let me influence you. I think you need to partake in it yourself and see if it's something <laughs> yeah, you that need can to, help you. You need to get the book, of course. Yeah, and I recommend that. Um, knowing you all the years, I know that you've poured a lot of wisdom into it. There's one that I think I saw that is enthusiasm and I, yeah, let, let's talk about I would love for, for you to talk about that one a little bit more because of all the sure. years I've known you, I can tell, I can definitely speak to your enthusiasm. Teach us some about Well, that. I think one of the most important thing you could ever bring to anything is enthusiasm. I mean, enthusiasm is a game changer. If, if you wake up every day and you're grumpy and you're snarling and you're just, it's going to be a, that's not going to make it. But if you start off with every day being a new day. Now, for me, that's really important because I wasn't supposed to be here. I mean, I'm living on borrowed time. I, I Every day for me is a wonderful experience because it's something that's beyond belief. I mean, I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be six feet under a long time ago. But let's talk about a little story. And I want to talk about a guy by the name of Fred the Carpenter. Fred was a uh, carpenter that was tired. He was 65. He had worked for 40 years for one company. Now, that's something pretty amazing because no one does that anymore. But he had given his heart and soul, and he was burnt out. He was tired. So he went to his boss, and he said, you know, I'm quitting. I just can't take it anymore. I just can't do this anymore. It's not, my whole soul isn't up. And his boss just thought for a minute. And he said, Fred, could you do one thing for me before you quit? And Fred said, well, 
tell me about it. He said, you know, could you build me just one more house? Just one more. This house has to be something that, that you'd be proud of. I, I really need this house. Be, and only you can do it. You're my master carpenter. You're my skilled craftsman. I think you need to take this home and you need to, to really take this project under your belt and please, please, please do your all for it. Well, Fred begrudgingly said, yes, I will build you this last house. But his heart was not into it. Every day he'd work for a couple hours and then he'd leave. Every day he just hated going to work. He'd drag his ass to work and just barely got it done. And the house was so poorly built, it barely passed inspection. But when it passed inspection, he went to his boss. Okay, I'm done. Here's my keys, everything. Take it away. I'm done. I'm leaving. He said, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, everybody wants to have a big party for you. You know, you've been with us for 40 years. You can't just walk away. So they pop the champagne. They have a great party right there. And And he said, okay, I'm gone. He said, no, 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 not yet. I want to talk to everybody. Everybody, this is Fred. He was my best carpenter for 40 years. I would not have been able to build this car, this house and this place without him. He's just an amazing guy. And I've got a reward for him for what he's done. I'm giving him the keys to the last house that he ever built. And I want him to live with it and enjoy it with all the pride and everything else that he did for me for 40 years. Fred of course, had lost that enthusiasm. Now, I want everybody to think about that. If you don't bring enthusiasm to every minute of every day, are you building that house that you're going to live in the rest of your life without, you know, just think of the message there. Yeah. That's good. Thanks for sharing. I actually had heard portions of that and I started knowing where you were going with it. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. You know, these are such interesting times that we're in. I guess I want to kind of last question here before we do a few wrap-up questions, smaller questions. You know, the world is so different. What do you really want people to read that read this book to take away from it? What is the message you want them to carry into their everyday life? You know, I think at the end of the day, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. I think that is the most important message that you could ever see. I was supposed to be dead, but I found a way out of that death sentence. If I had listened, I would have been dead. I I wouldn't have found the, the way out. But again, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. And I think that is the fundamental message that everybody needs right now. You know, right now, there's something happening to you. But what are you doing with what happens? What are you trying to do to change your life and make it for the better? And maybe you're working in a job that is no longer there. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of jobs out there that are doing very well right now. There's a whole bunch of things out there that are doing well. I was at a mastermind meeting the other day, and about a third of the people raised their hands and said, we are doing better than any time in our life up to this point in time. Can you believe that? Okay, here's death and destruction going on everywhere. 
Uh, millions of Canadians and Americans are unemployed, uh, lining up for the government, printing money like crazy, keeping people from going into the soup kitchens and the poor houses that were in the 30s. But there are considerable amount of people that are even doing better at this time than they ever did before. So you can look at this as a crisis, or you can look at this as an opportunity. And I think that's what people should be looking at here is how can they find something good out of this? How can they learn something out of this? How can they do something out of this that is really going to make a difference at the end of the day? Yeah, that's that's excellent. Once again, um, gosh, there's so many places we can go. But what I'd love for you to do now is just let people know, Alan, how they can get this book, how they can connect with you, how they can stay in contact. Just go ahead, and we're going to put we're going to put them in the notes and uh, and and make sure we include that on social. But but just for those folks listening to this audibly, tell them how they can connect and find you. Well, the easiest way to connect with me is through my, through my email, Dr. Ellen, A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A, at gmail.com. Dr. That's D-R, no period, D-R, Ellen, A-L-L-E-N, Lyka, L-Y-C-K-A, at gmail.com. Drop me a line anytime, any questions. I'd love to get those. I like to help people. Uh, you know, if you do have a problem, then you, we could even put some time aside for you and book a Zoom call or a Jitsi call and get together on that and talk about some of the things that might be able to help you. If you're in a business that's having problems right now, please write me a line. Uh, you know, one thing Tim knows about me is that I'm an amazing problem solver. I think out of the box all the time. I come to things in a different way, partly because of my training. But one of the things that made me a great cosmetic doctor was my ability to take things from other businesses and put it into this and take things from outside. And I've learned how to take things from other and help people along. And I love to do that. That's become my passion now. Yeah, that's good. Where do we find the book? You know, it's not available yet. It was supposed to launch, but Amazon is not printing books right now. So you can get it on pre-sales at fantasticlifebook.com. www.fantasticlifebook.com. That'll be in the notes. If you buy it from that site, I've got a couple of things for you. One is I'll give you free shipping so you don't have to pay the shipping that Amazon does. And 20% of every book goes to help people in the inner city right now. Because there's a lot of people worse off than us right now. So this is my present to give back. And I think it's very important to help those that are having less at this point in time. Uh, Something I've always done in my life is to give. And I'd love to give even more through this book as well. Yeah, that's good. Now, I, I do have one clarifying question. If by the time someone listens to this, it has been released, can they still get it from that website? Yes, they sure can. That that site will be set up forever. There's also a video on that site with Harriet and I, with Jack Canfield. He introduced he interviewed us about that book. So you might want to go and see there. It's it's a very nice little site, and there's some good stuff on there, some good information as well. Okay, very good. Alan, what's next for you? There's a lot going on right now in the world, and book coming out. What's next? 
you know, this book is a start of several books. You know, each Golden Pearl is going to become its own book. And I'm going to ask 100 authors to help to contribute to that and tell me their stories on each pearl so we can even make it a bigger effort. There's going to be a second book because we couldn't put all the pearls right in this book. So we're going to give some extra pearls in this second book that'll be coming out. There will be a workbook coming out that will show people how to do this in your life. And I will be on the professional speaking tour when that opens up. So people may get me into their own community. I love to speak, as you probably realize. <laughs> as good as I am in this one-on-one media, I'm even better at one to a group. So you'll even one that one. But I'm also a coach. So if any of you have some things that you'd like to talk to me about, on a person, I can put together a coaching program uniquely for you or your business and try to help you through these difficult yeah no it's scary the experts are saying one out of three won't make it right now one out of three business will not make it or maybe 50 percent yeah it's scary and i i think many of those still can make it yeah there's there's going to be uh some some interesting times alan the title of this podcast is seek go create three words lot to those words which one of those words speaks to you the most and why as we finish up last question you know, I don't know if I could go to one of those because I think you have to seek, you have to go when you have to create. I, I've been a creator all my life, but I've also been a doer, a, an amazing doer. But I sought out the knowledge and found the knowledge as a result. So which one? I'd have to flip a three-sided coin to pick the one out there. And I don't think we have that today. Uh, so not even, not going to get you to commit, huh? Not even leaning to one over the others? No, I think they're all a, one part of the same process. It's probably a Venn diagram <laughs> where you have three circles all overlapping, and I'm probably in the middle of that. Yeah, very good. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. If you are listening and would like to continue the conversation, we would encourage you to do that. And we welcome that. Go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com to comment on this specific episode. Or you can contact us on the page where you can reach out to us there via email. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those, all of those platforms, we are Seek go create. You can find us and obviously comment and continue the conversation. Thank you again for joining us. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.